Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, the, the good things in life don't come easy, do they? Uh, deep relationships take effort. Uh, good grades at school take effort. If you're saving for something, savings, they take effort. Uh, careers, if you want to advance in your career, that takes effort. Uh, life quickly teaches us no pain, no gain. And you'll be pleased to know the Bible teaches the same thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it with, with a whole lot more heat. Unless we die, we cannot know life. And so the professional trainer, the personal trainer, they, they, they're the ones who say no pain, no gain. Jesus says no death, no life. But don't panic. Jesus is not a mean drill sergeant. Jesus doesn't scream at us, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Drop and give me 50, you little miserable worm. No, that's not Jesus' tone. Jesus tells us there is joy in the journey, not just the destination. Jesus' tone is not no pain, no gain. Jesus' tone is Come with me. Come die with me. And I promise you will find life. And not just life in the end, but life along the way. These verses that Lynn just read out to us are amazing verses. And here's how we're going to break them down this morning. Now, firstly, we're going to hear Jesus talk about four joys that have four complementing deaths. Uh, the way to those joys will be through four deaths. And then we're going to look in on a beautiful example of someone who took on Jesus' teaching. And then we're going to finish uh, with that, uh, the truth that we don't need to fear this death that Jesus is calling us to because Jesus has already died our death. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Four joys and four deaths, a beautiful example, and the death of death. So firstly, four joys and four deaths. Jesus is about to tell us of four joys that we should long for, and he's going to show us the four paths to those uh, joy, uh, four joys that we should long for. The path to those four joys is four deaths. But just before we get to those, uh, I want to show us what the original context for this teaching was when Jesus first gave it. Have a look at uh, chapter 12, verse 20. You got your Bible open? John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast... And so this feast was the Passover feast. This is the feast, the last one that Jesus is about to have on earth before he dies. Uh, the Last Supper sort of comes out of this scenario. So this feast, uh, going up to this feast, were some Greeks, some non-Jews, some foreigners went up to this Jewish feast. And so these came to Philip, 
who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Philip was one of Jesus' disciples. And they asked Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. This is huge. Uh, This is a turning point in John's gospel. You see, we're told already in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God sent his own son because he loved the world. God sent Jesus because he loves the world. Not just Jews, God loves the world. People from all nations, from every tribe, from whatever demographic, God loves. And so here are these non-Jews turning up to a Jewish festival And in response, Jesus makes a massive declaration. Jesus is about to give us the turning point in John's gospel as he also gives us the first of the joy and death combination. Have a look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is is huge. Jesus declared that the hour had finally come. Up until now, it was the hour is not yet, and so Jesus would disappear. But now, the hour has come for the Son of Man. Remember when Dale was preaching a couple of weeks ago and and reminded us that the Son of Man comes out of Daniel chapter 7 when God gives this vision of when God's going to establish his rule, his cosmic rule in the world, and he was going to send someone to establish God's cosmic rule through one in the likeness of the Son of Man. Jesus takes that title for himself and he says, The hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Brother, sister, there is no greater joy, there is no greater pursuit than the pursuit of the glory of God. To taste and see the glory of God is our greatest joy. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember how God created the world? He just spoke, and a whole universe exists. That's the power God has. And that power, okay, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is no greater joy than to see the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. And now, now we are told, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the first joy, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is no greater glory. And we know that the way that the Son of Man, the way that Jesus was glorified, was through his death, through the cross. And so the way to the glory of glories is death, the cross, 
Jesus dying in our place. And so there's our first joy and first death in this passage, Jesus' glory that comes through the cross. Now have a look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So in verse 23, Jesus has just told us that his glory would follow his death. The destination is glory. The path is the cross. In verse 24, Jesus tells us that that path to glory is not that bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Jesus compares his death to a seed going into the ground. Jesus must die in order to bear the fruit of many saved sinners. Jesus is saying that his death is not all bad. Jesus compares his death to germination, to a seed going in the ground so that many seeds, many, much fruit, sorry, much fruit can come out. And so the second joy is lots of fruit and the path to that is burial in, in the soil, being put in the soil so that much fruit can come out. Now have a look at verse 25 with me. Whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here the joy is eternal life and, and not any eternal life but life forever with God. Eternal life. Forever, beauty, joy, peace. Forever, absolutely not a none, zero, evil, pain, suffering. Eternal life with God. That's the joy that Jesus is talking about in verse 25. And hear what Jesus says in this, uh, that the way that we can lose eternal life. In verse 25, he says, we can lose it by loving our life. What does Jesus mean by whoever loves his life loses it? Simple. Whoever makes their goal, their personal goals, this life, the comfort, the securities of this life will lose Life. Living for this life and only this life alone is a sure pathway to hell. You hear what Jesus says in the second half of verse 25? Whoever hates his life in this world. Notice Jesus didn't say whoever hates his life, full stop. Jesus says whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus is not saying, hate your life. Jesus is saying, hate your life in this world. You see, brother, sister, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our heart belongs to the King. Our treasures are in the new heaven and the new earth 
Oh, how we long to be with him forever. This life. This life is not where the action is. The new heaven and the new earth is where it's at. And so we give up everything in this life because we so want Jesus in the next life. And so the third joy is eternal life. And the pathway to eternal life is a death. It's hating our lives in this world. And then number four, read verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And so this time the pathway, the, the, the death is actually given first. The death that Jesus is calling us into is a life of a servant. Be like Jesus. Follow him. Be a servant like him. Be lowly like Jesus. He must follow me and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Wow. Have you ever been honoured in front of a group of peers? Yeah, maybe you received a commendation at school. Maybe the best and fairest player award in a sporting team. Uh, maybe one of those ribbons at a country fair. Uh, a business award. You know that warm buzz, that, that good feeling you get when you're called out and, and recognised in front of a group of peers? And I, and I recognise, as I say, that maybe some of us, it's actually pretty depressing. Maybe you've never been recognised for the hard work that you have done. Well, verse 26 is a verse for all of us. You see, there is a recognition that makes all other recognitions seem insignificant. It's found in those last five words. The Father will honour him. The Father will honour her. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin. Jesus says, give me your sin and I will give you my righteousness so that the Father will honour you. Do you hear that? Read it. Listen to Jesus. The Father will honour him. If you have handed your life over to Jesus Christ, the Father honours you. He calls you out. Brother, sister, you do not scrape into heaven by the skin of your teeth. The Father grabs you. He sings over you, we're told in Zephaniah. Jesus gives the parable of the father running down the driveway, grabbing the prodigal son in a big bear hug, loving him, lavishing him with a big smile. Brother, sister, the father honours you if you are in Jesus Christ. Wow. 
There is such freedom to be found in this verse. Jesus' promise in verse 26 means we can spend our entire lives slaving away for people. Forever being misunderstood, maligned, even mistreated for the name of Jesus. But we keep going with joy. Why? Because our father keeps saying, well done, daughter. Well done, son. Who cares what other people think when it is the father who honours us? Okay. In four powerful verses, Jesus sets our hearts on four joys that involve four deaths. The, the joys are they're four destinations of our heart. And the path to those joys, it's a death, four deathly paths, for sure. But a good kind of death. It's the death of, that Moses just prayed for us, actually, isn't it? Of putting off the bad so that we can put on the good of Jesus. Of burying ourselves in the soil of God's glory so that we can experience the joy of our maker. First glory, the glory of Jesus. He got there through the cross. The second glory, bearing much fruit, and that is being buried in the soil. The third joy is eternal life. Well, we need to hate this life. And the fourth joy is honoured by the Father. And the death is well, being a servant. This way of living, it's completely opposite to everything we're ever taught in any earthly philosophy, any earthly ideology, any other religion... And if we're honest, it's even opposite to the desires of our own heart. Jesus is glorified through his death. Our king is the greatest king because he laid his life down. He died. He lost. He was mocked and murdered. The world says that's not greatness. That's not glory. Greatness is being on the top and being dominant. And God says, glory is found in weakness. Wow. Do you hear Jesus in those four verses? Greeks come and say, hey, Jesus, we want to meet you. And Jesus says, okay, here's how you meet me. These are tough words, aren't they? And so I want to show you a beautiful example of someone who embraced exactly what Jesus is teaching. Go back to John chapter 12, verse 1. John 12, verse 1, here's this beautiful example. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Remember last week we were looking at John chapter 11 when Lazarus died. Jesus knew Lazarus was dying, but Jesus didn't go down to save him and heal him like he could. He waited till Lazarus died. And then he waited four days so that Lazarus wasn't only dead, he was buried. And as Stu Cuxon told us so well in the kids' talk last week, he stinketh. 
He was dead. Now, now you remember when uh, we looked at John 11 last week, we were also told that Jesus loved Lazarus and uh, Lazarus' two sisters, Martha and Mary. Uh, John chapter 11, we we see Jesus so emotional. He's angry at the death of Lazarus. He's full of tears and weeping at the death of Lazarus. We we see this love of Jesus uh, for this family. Lazarus is raised from the dead, though, Verse, and they're having a dinner party with Jesus six days later. Uh, not, not six days later, so they're having a dinner party with Jesus. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I wish we could have all been in that room. That pound of nard, that was probably her family's inheritance, an heirloom. For an ordinary family to own a year's worth of perfume, and we're told from Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel that it was kept in an alabaster jar, we are probably talking about the family inheritance that was passed from generation to generation. We're told in the other Gospels that Mary broke that jar and anointed Jesus' feet with it. Very expensive. And then, you know there were rules back in the day that not even slaves were supposed to touch the feet of their masters. This was the lowliest of lowly acts that Mary was doing in that room. No no one was supposed to do it. I don't know if we've got a comparison in our day and age. And then, what are we to make of Mary unbounding her hair and wiping Jesus' feet? It was an act of intimacy. But not that sort of intimacy. I imagine you're all now thinking Steve's talking about a sexual intimacy. No, 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 not at all. It's the intimacy of a family. When you know each other and you, know, you walk around the house in your PJs together, it was an act of that sort of closeness and intimacy and not having to wear makeup or just, it, it was just opening herself to Jesus. Wow, what a scene. I wish we all could have been there. Some of us, especially us blokes, make a mistake in choosing the wrong heroes of faith. You know, we often skip over the women of the Bible and go for the men like Abraham or David, killing Goliath and Peter and Paul who planted all those churches. But just have a think about Mary for a moment. We've been reading John's Gospel. We know that the religious leaders were plotting to kill Jesus, yeah? That was no secret, even back in Jesus' day. And so the disciples and Jesus' friend knew there was a plot to kill Jesus. Mary would have known that. All at the dinner party knew the plot was there. Remember how Peter, when the arresters came, he grabs a sword, chops off a soldier's ear? And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. What are you doing, Peter? Don't you remember my mission? But Mary, Mary did not pull out a sword. 
She pulled out her family inheritance. Mary got down on the ground and performed the most humbling task. Mary took Jesus' feet. Mary unbound her hair and wiped Jesus' feet. Mary is a true, perhaps the truest hero of faith. Mary shows us what raw, complete, intimate faith looks like. She is a beautiful example. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Mary brought the family inheritance. Take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. Mary knelt and took up Jesus' feet. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at your feet its treasure store. Take myself, I will be ever only all for thee. Mary didn't care about the angry looks and the angry words. She gave her life, her will, her everything to Jesus. Mary is the supreme example of the follower of Jesus we long to be every time we sing that song. And so from now on, when we sing, take my life and let it be, let's picture Mary. Oblivious to the indignation of the crowd, her eyes locked on the beauty of Jesus. There is no way Mary could have understood the complete fullness of Jesus' death and yet, Mary beautifully, completely, and intimately shows us what it is to put our faith in Jesus. I suspect Mary did understand a little bit of something in that the only way Jesus could call Lazarus out of the grave is because he was about to go into the grave. Jesus, the darling of heaven, was about to die the death that all God's children deserve so that we don't have to. And so Mary didn't grab a sword. Mary grabbed burial balm. Mary is a beautiful example of genuine faith. Now we need to finish, don't we? which means I need to actually bring it back to Jesus. While Mary is a beautiful example to follow, none of us, not even Mary, would be able to follow if it wasn't for Jesus' death. Did any of you notice as we were working through John chapter 12, verses 23 to 26, it was rather difficult to tell whether Jesus is teaching us about his death or Jesus is giving us an example to follow. Is Jesus giving us an example? Or is Jesus teaching us about his death? And the answer is yes. Jesus is deliberately ambiguous in verses 23 to 26. Yes, Jesus is clearly telling us about his death of death. Jesus is glorified on the cross. 
Because on the cross, Jesus died for Jew and Greek. Every people of every tribe can be saved through the death of Jesus on the cross. The cross is so much more than an example. The cross is the foundation, the bedrock of all salvation. The cross, cross of Jesus Christ is our only hope of salvation. And the cross of Jesus is an example to Jesus' followers. Jesus says we will only find life, real life, eternal life, when we die to self. We must follow his example, not to earn our salvation. We can never earn our salvation. Our sin is so horrible. God had to send Jesus to die in our place. We follow Jesus' example, not to earn our salvation, but because we are captured by the beauty of Jesus and Jesus' death. We taste and see the beauty of the cross-centered life, and so we enter into the cross-centered life. You know, every day Jesus calls us to a hundred deaths. Jesus calls us to put the needs of others above our own, even the enemies above our own. That's hard. But Jesus also tells us there's profound joy as we give our money, as we give our time, as we give our reputation, as we get trampled over. Jesus says we will find more and more and more beauty in Jesus who gave everything so that we can have life. Brother, sister, how do you pursue joy? Is it through the comforts and securities of this life? You know, the comforts and securities of this life, they're going to rust, they're going to fade, they're going to pass away. I heard someone sing that once. Colin Buchanan, if you don't know. Best theology you can get. Jesus tells us to hate our life in this world. And then and only then will we find the joy of eternal life. And our eternal life is secure because Jesus has died on the cross and been raised to life. Therefore, we can go forward dying a hundred deaths every day. We can lay down our life every day because we know we have eternal life. Do you experience the supernatural joy of God through dying to self in order to serve others? You see, the Christian life is not just joy in the end, it is joy now. Jesus promises that as we enter into daily deaths of self, we will experience the joy and glory of his victory. Do you trust him? Do you walk the cross-centered life? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I thank you, I praise you, we thank you, we praise you that you sent your only Son. Jesus, we thank you that you came, laid down your life, 
You are the one that we're going to remember this coming Friday that was stripped and beaten and mocked and maligned and executed for us. And Father, how you raised him to life again. That victory is found through death. That glory is found through the death of Jesus. Father, would you help each of us in this room live a life that you honour. We pray this not because we're trying to earn you or win you in any sort of way, Father. Oh, just, just help us see the beauty and the wonder and the glory of the cross-centred life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.